At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, here we go. And we are off another episode of In Defense of the Big 12. Tyler McComas, I'm in Norman, Oklahoma. Brad Kellner, he is in Austin, Texas. And for the next hour, you know what we're doing. We're talking exclusively. Big 12 football as more and more news continues to come out. And I I wouldn't even call this first thing news. I I would call it a massive rumor. I'm getting texts yesterday from all these people. Wait a minute. OU is seriously thinking about not moving forward with the season. And I'm like, what's going on? What I mean, like, what, what, like, what is this? Where are you reading this? Hey, it's a sports illustrated article. And like 20 years ago, not to start off by hammering sports illustrated, 20 years ago, a Sports Illustrated came out with a story like this, I'd be like, okay, they got they got sources, they've got quotes, they've got everything you need to run with a story like this. The landscape of Sports Illustrated has changed so much, really, in the past five years that um, I knew that this was crap from the moment that I read it. So I don't know if you read this in Austin and thought, oh, my God, OU's trying to tear the league apart this fall. But I can just go ahead and tell you what you read yesterday on Sports Illustrated is not factually accurate about OU not wanting to move forward with the season. Well, that's good to know. And I think that's more of a sports media thing than just a Sports Illustrated thing, right? I mean, it almost feels like a race to be first, not a race to be right nowadays when trying to break stories in the world of sports. Yeah, I actually saw this. So I was on air when this happened yesterday in Austin. And somebody tweeted this to me, and it was actually from like a small UT site called Longhorns Wire. And that's where I saw it first, but they said reports Oklahoma considering canceling the season, uh, Texas still trying to play. That's the first report I saw, and I'm like, wow, that's that doesn't seem right. But then again, I thought for a second, I was like, okay, you know, Oklahoma's had some stuff go on over the past few days, right? Recently had nine players test positive for COVID, uh, the suspensions the number of injuries that are going on with Oklahoma. Like I I would never pick anybody to have a bye year, but if Oklahoma, especially a school like Oklahoma, right? A team that's as dominant and as good as Oklahoma is year in and year out. And a team that has owned this conference year in and year out, like the Sooners have, like there's no way that they would ever take a year off. But if any year, if Oklahoma was going to take a year off, maybe it would have been the year and combine all the stuff I just said with the fact that, you know, it kind of feels like Lincoln Riley, has been more protective of his players than any other coach in this conference, right? I mean, Oklahoma started their voluntary workouts two weeks later than any other school in the Big 12, and Lincoln Riley has given some quotes. He did it before practices started up over the summer. He basically said, oh, you know, the notion of coming back and starting practice right now is absurd to me. Like It almost feels like he's been a little bit against, or at least a little bit more against, 
playing college football this fall than the nine other schools in the Big 12. So when I first saw this rumor, I thought, yeah, this is probably crazy. This is probably BS, but maybe you know there's some truth to this because of some of the things happening uh, around Norman right now. But yeah, then it was uh, it was put to bed. I, I checked in with some Oklahoma sources and obviously saw on Twitter yesterday that those rumors were unsubstantiated and very far from the truth. So it seems like it's all water under the bridge at this point, and uh, it's all systems go for Oklahoma, just like it is for the rest of this league. Just for entertainment purposes, here's what the article said. While that was going on on Tuesday, the Big 12 was dealing with a different issue involving Oklahoma, which reportedly is leaning against the sentiment of its brethren who want to continue with the season. Normally, this would result in a stalemate. Not so much this time because Texas is leading a charge to continue with or without Oklahoma as part of the conference for football this season. The reason such a plan may have some legs is that eliminating Oklahoma opens the conference race for the other teams, even more so if Texas stumbles. OU's dilemma is obvious, and it goes on. So, I, there's yeah, there, there's no truth to that. O, OU is extremely interested. I would say definitely as interested as Texas to continue to move forward with the football season, so that's what they're going to do. I mean, this story could – in a way, eventually be right. I mean, there's no guarantee still today that a football season is going to happen. But right. as of right now, like they are doing everything possible moving forward with everything to start a season. But I, I, I will tell you this, and I heard something yesterday from the co-host of my radio show, Teddy Lehman. He pointed out that if you would have asked Big 12 presidents, Big 12 athletic directors, really any athletic director or president in college football, and said earlier this year, hey, what are the chances of major conference realignment happening in the year 2020? They would have said, there's no way. There, I mean, there's 0% chance. What are you talking about? Hmm. But now, since everything has been turned upside down, he was hinting to me that in the next 12 months, I mean, and he was talking about very quickly – there could be a major shift in conference realignment. He was saying that OU isn't necessarily interested in the Big 12. He hinted at like OU and Texas maybe looking at the ACC and buying out of the conference would be substantially low this offseason because it's based on what your revenue is. And obviously they're not making as much this year, so it would be easy to buy out and move to another league. Um, obviously money is really going to drive things. Hmm. And I think Oklahoma was going to leave the conference as is when the grant of rights was up, maybe Texas as well. But now it's all about where you can make the most money since everybody is suffering uh, financially right now. So he could be, could be onto something here. Maybe conference realignment with the two big dogs in this league could happen sooner than we think. Man, is it that time of year already? You know, I was almost hoping yeah. that would be a silver lining of the pandemic of 2020, that we wouldn't have to talk about conference realignment. And the thought of Texas and Oklahoma leaving the Big 12 and then the other schools having to figure out what the hell they're going to do, right? Like who else is going to get picked up by a major conference? What's going to happen if and when the Big 12 disbands and completely falls apart? I figured we were able to avoid that this year with all the other stuff that's going on in the college. Hey, I, I hate conference realignment talk too because I'm tired of talking about, well, we played Texas for 60 years and we weren't in the same yeah. conference. We could still pull that off because it, it goes to the same conversations here. But the conversations around here has never been about the ACC. It's been about – 
the Big Ten or the right. SEC. So, but but I'm with you. Like, it, it's funny. Like, is like, all right. You know. I mean, two weeks ago we were talking about the Big Twelve adding teams, right? Whether it was for this year only or for this year and beyond. Whether it was Nebraska, whether it was BYU, uh, some other teams were kind of rumored and thrown in there as well. And then now all of a sudden we're talking about, oh, let's break up the Big Twelve again. Let's get rid of it. I mean, we have to see how this year goes, Tyler. We really sure. do because you know I, I'm very curious about the long-term health of the, not really the Big Ten. I feel like the Big Ten's fine, but obviously what's the future of the Pac-12, a conference that has really been struggling, especially financially over the last few years? I mean, Larry Scott has kind of run that thing into the ground. Like what's the economic impact going to be on those two leagues if the other Power Five conferences can have a college football season, right? Not only start it, but finish it. Like this is going to be a game of we told you so. On one side or the other. Oh, for sure. And there's way too much of that going on in the world right now. But it's going to happen without question in college football, right? If we are able to have a season this fall and start it and finish it and crown a national champion, then the Big 12, the SEC, the ACC are going to say, we told you so. We told you we could have a season during the pandemic. We told you everything would be fine. And look at us. We were able to recoup some money. We were able to play these games. We were able to determine a conference and national champion. But on the other end of the spectrum, if the season doesn't work, right, whether we cancel it a day before the season starts, a day after the season starts, a week, a month, whatever, if we have to pull the plug on this fall season, then you know damn well the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are going to be laughing a little bit. They're going to be smirking and saying, we told you so too. So I am curious what happens there. And if a season does happen, right, what's the health of the conferences that didn't play? And if a season doesn't happen this year, you know, what happens to the Big 12? Are they screwed to where they potentially have to look at disbanding, breaking up, and then the big dogs in this conference have to think, all right, maybe our best long-term future is not in this league. It's going to be pretty annoying if we finish a year and the SEC schools are just chanting SEC the entire offseason. Like, that's that. That's their I told you so. That's well, they're going to do that anyways. Probably. I mean, that would be it would be A&M's biggest win in the in the SEC since 2012. So maybe they could hang a banner up for that as well. Um, boy, I spent about 30 minutes yesterday listening to a Sam Ellinger press conference on TexasSports.com. How about that? I'm sifting hmm. through some of the things that he said. I, I do want to ask you a question that he was asked. Does he need a championship this year to secure his legacy at Texas? I thought that he had a pretty interesting response to that. But the most interesting question uh, was just flat out, hey, Sam, did you cry when the LSU game got canceled? And he said yes pretty quick, but he kind of did it in a – he had a, like a playful response after that for a little bit. Like, do, you, do you believe that Sam Ellinger really cried when he saw that the LSU game was canceled? Man, I don't know if he actually shed tears, but I'm sure he was pissed as hell. Like, I was pissed as hell, right? As a, as a Texas fan, as a Texas grad, I just wanted the opportunity to get revenge against LSU after what they did last year, right? Coming into DKR and stealing the game against Texas, you know. It would have been nice to return the favor in front of their home fans, in Baton Rouge, and even without fans, right? Even after the pandemic started and we realized, okay, we're not going to get 100,000 in Death Valley uh, on September 12th, which was the originally scheduled date for that game. It was still, all right, you know, I still want a shot of revenge. I don't care if nobody's there. I don't care where they play this game. Just give us another opportunity to uh, to beat LSU because, man, last year hurts, right? That third long at the end of the game yeah, is, just, yeah. is going to haunt Texas fans until the end of eternity. 
to be quite honest. So, yeah, I, I don't know if actual tears were shed or if Sam Ellinger was just looking for a couple of laughs on the Zoom press conference. But, like, Texas fans I know were ticked off. I can't even imagine uh, how pissed off Sam Ellinger and the rest of the Texas players were after what happened last year, the fact that they don't get a shot at revenge this year. And honestly, I mean, I feel like Texas had a chance this year. Like, I picked yeah. LSU to win the game last year. I picked LSU to cover in the game last year. They ended up covering by a half a point, I think. Of course, Vegas doing Vegas things. But even before last year started, before we knew how good Joe Burrow was going to be and how good LSU was going to be, I always felt like Texas would have a better chance to win the game in 2020 in Baton Rouge, even though it was on the road, just because, man, I knew Texas was going to be so experienced, and I knew LSU was losing so much after last year, and they ended up losing way more than we thought. So after that, after this offseason where Joe Brady leaves, where Dave Aranda leaves, and LSU has 14 draft picks, and I think now they've had 16 guys leave due to opt-outs as well in terms of starters from last year's team. I really felt like Texas had a big chance. I'm sure Sam Ellinger felt like Texas had a big chance to win that game. So once again, I don't know if actual tears were shed, but man, I'm sure he uh, was pretty damn close to running his fist through the wall after the SEC announced conference only a couple weeks back. Hey, I do have a question about that game last year. So when I was a kid, I was at the OU LSU National Championship in New Orleans. And out of all the games I've ever been to, I've never seen a fan base act like a bunch of buttholes quite like LSU. Like it was, I mean, it was, it was really bad. Like it, seriously, it, it was bad. After they won. It, it was so bad. Well, the, like the entire week leading okay. up to the game, it was just, it was just bad, man. man. And it has haunted OU fans that in our conversation about worse fans. Everybody immediately says LSU fans. It's not It's not like a thought. It's like, God, LSU fans were awful at the Sugar Bowl. Now, I've been to probably five or six LSU games since then, and they've been fine. At the Peach Bowl last year, they were they were great. They were fine. Were LSU fans a bunch of buttholes in Austin last year? I know they showed up in droves, but how'd they, how'd they act? Man, I didn't notice that at all. I thought they were great. I really did. Now, every fan base has their jabronis, right? I mean, to put it nicely. And I don't know if I can call that politically correct because I'm not sure jabronis is uh, a politically correct <laughs> term, or term used in politics at all. But, you know, every fan base has those people, uh, pro sports, college sports, whatever. But, man, for the most part, I thought uh, the occasions were great. And they had a lot of fun. And every tailgate I went to that had LSU colors, they were offering me food. They were offering me drinks. Uh, I thought we all commingled and interacted pretty well. Sure, there was some trash talk going on, but of course, I mean, that's you want that, right? It wouldn't be fun if you didn't have that pregame trash talk. Oh, we're going to win. We're going to win back and forth going on. But, man, I thought the LSU fans were great when they came to town last year. And I figured they'd be nice hosts this year as well. And I'm honestly surprised because I always hear great things about LSU fans, but I also always hear – for my Oklahoma buddies, that Ohio State. And I hear this from a lot of, of fan bases from around college football. But you guys obviously had that home and home with the Buckeyes uh, a few years ago. And I always heard from OU fans that I talked to that Ohio State fans up in Columbus were the worst fans that you guys had to deal with. So I am a little surprised to hear uh, that, that LSU may take the cake on that one. Yeah, LSU would take the cake. It wouldn't be close. Ohio yeah. State fans were kind of... Nah, they were a little bit jerks when they came to Norman in 2016. One thing I noticed about Ohio State is their fans wear a lot of jerseys, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, hey, if you're a jersey guy, that's fine. There's nothing against that. I personally am not a jersey guy. But I swear out of the probably 10,000 fans they brought, 
9,995 had some sort of a throwback Ohio State jersey on. How about That's that? They were, they were, were they throwbacks or they had somebody's name on the back? Or well, like Ohio have- State, like Ohio State has, like, for instance, te- Texas jersey, right? If you see a Texas 12 jersey, it's like, okay, that's Colt McCoy, right? If you see a Texas 11 jersey, if you see a Texas 10 jersey, you know who it is. Like, same thing with OU. If you see an OU number six jersey, you kind of got it. But they, like, the way that their jerseys are made, there's nothing on it but, a, like, a giant number. So it might be, like, a giant 54 or a giant, like, number 30 or a giant number 28. So it's like, I don't, off the top of my head, I don't know who any of these guys are. So they're just, like, all throwback. That's pretty cool. Man, so Jersey guys, Ohio State's big Jersey guys. That's interesting. Okay, I know Texas has a home-and-home coming up with the Buckeyes later this decade, so I'll get to uh, experience that firsthand. But, no, man, you know, back to your original question. Yeah, Sam Ellinger had to be pissed. I'm sure all of Texas was pissed. Like, uh, you would never hear it from Tom Herman and any of the Texas players, but Texas didn't care about the South Florida game week one. Oh, God, Like I, I know there's some Maryland PTSD in this fan base, and there should be. And I would have gone on the radio here in Austin and said, all right, you know, like I know South Florida is not good. We've got a first-year head coach, which honestly bodes better for the Bulls because Charlie Strong is gone. Like if Charlie Strong was coaching USF, I'd say, oh, you could sleepwalk that game, Texas, and you'd win by 40, no problem. But every Texas player, every Texas coach, they were focused on LSU. They were going to do enough to beat South Florida and hope to hopefully beat them comfortably, but all offseason long, had been what the hell do we have to do to win that revenge game in Baton Rouge this year? That was the entire focus within the locker room. And to have it taken away the way it was, there's no doubt it hurts. And there's obviously some conversation of, well, can you play the game next year or the year after? Is there any way to make it happen? I just don't know the answer to that, right? Because Texas has, and most schools, right? Most big schools already have their futures, non-conference games figured out for the next decade. Or so. So maybe something will open up down the road on the calendar. But man, for Sam Ellinger and for the current roster for Texas, the current roster for LSU, the current students, it feels like uh, this thing isn't going to happen. The other question that he was asked that I thought was interesting was Hey, Sam, um, do you need a championship to kind of secure your legacy here at Texas? And it's it's tough for for me to answer. I he's without a doubt the best quarterback Texas has had since Colt McCoy for sure. Now his legacy get relocated with first coming in. You know if Quinn Ewers takes this program to heights that it hasn't seen since Colt McCoy, then maybe Sam Ellinger is forgotten about pretty quickly. But I I do think that even though that his stats are great, his numbers are great, he's better than David Ash or Tyron Swoops or Gerard Hurd or any of the other guys that have come before him in the past decade. I I do think that Sam Ellinger, he'll be in a weird class of his own because he'll never be to Colt McCoy or Vince Young's level. So I don't really know where to classify a championship, but I do think he needs some sort of a championship to kind of fall into that category of his own. Yeah, I mean, whether it's fair or not, quarterbacks are defined by wins and championships. It's as simple as that. I mean, that that's really any level of football, right? And that's high school, that's college, that's the NFL. Individual numbers are great, stats are great. But in terms of leaving a legacy, all, all that matters is, is wins and championships. And Sam Ellinger knows that, right? He definitely knows that. I mean, you can make a strong case that Sam Ellinger is the third best quarterback that Texas has had in the last 50 years. But – if he doesn't even win a conference championship, then 
you know, I, yeah, it, it could be the next guy, whether it's Quinn Ewers or Hudson Carter or Jaquinda Jackson or Casey Thompson before him. Like maybe that guy, if they can win a conference championship and bring Texas back to severe or to real national relevance, like put the Longhorns back in the playoff or something like that, then maybe that's the guy who gets remembered more than Sam Ellinger does. So, man, he's been phenomenal at the University of Texas. There's no doubt he's been a godsend. He's gotten the Longhorns out of quarterback purgatory which this program was obviously in for a decade. Uh, but, man, I, I think to really leave a, a long-term lasting legacy to where we're talking about this guy 30, 40, 50 years down the road, he's got to at least win a conference championship. So we'll see what happens. I mean, I, I think this is Texas's best chance since he got here to make it happen. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I do think that really is important to, to his long-term, his lasting legacy here. I'm half kidding with this, half serious with this. But maybe this won't be Sam Ellinger's last year at Texas with this new NCAA yeah. rule. Like maybe he comes back in 2021 and he's Texas starting quarterback for the fifth year in a row. Again, like I'm mostly kidding with that. I don't think that that would happen, but I, I don't think that Sam Ellinger is going to be a first round pick. I don't think Sam Ellinger is going to be a second round pick. And maybe if he's all the way back to the fourth or fifth round, I'm just saying it's not the craziest thing. I wouldn't bet on it, but it's not the craziest conversation to have right now that he could seemingly come back in 2021 if the NCAA Board of Governors votes on this rule that nobody's going to lose a year of eligibility this season, no matter how much you play. Yeah, that's the crazy part of this conversation, the fact that that's a thing, right? I mean, if you're a college football fan, that's got to be awesome. And if you're a college football player who doesn't have an NFL future, that's got to be even more awesome. But I was shocked when I saw this news drop yesterday, Tyler. I really was. Like, I figured for the conferences that don't play this fall, right, the Big Ten, the Pac-12, the Mountain West, yada, 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 then, okay, this would be a thing. Like, you're not going to lose a year of eligibility because you're not playing. That made sense to me. But I always assumed that, all right, Big 12, SEC, ACC, uh, Fun Belt, Everybody else who's playing this year, American, you're going to lose a year of eligibility. Like you're playing a season. It's just like any other season you would play in college football, right? You exhaust a year of eligibility. I mean, especially with the NCAA, right? Like they're always they're always doing whatever they can to do less work. And they're always seemingly doing whatever they can to screw the student athlete. So I just kind of assumed that, all right, this is going to be a normal year in terms of eligibility for all the schools and all the players that are playing. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely shocking. And look, man, this is a big year for Sam Ellinger for a number of different reasons, but individually it is too. Like, I, I'm not saying Sam Ellinger is Joe Burrow at all. Don't don't twist my words on this, but I mean, hell, Joe Burrow probably going into last year was a day three to undrafted type of guy. He balls out, wins the Heisman, LSU wins the national championship. He goes 1-1. That's not going to be Sam Ellinger. He's not going to be 1-1. He's not going to jump Trevor Lawrence. There's nothing he can do where he can jump Justin Fields. There's nothing he can do, in my opinion, to where he could jump Trey Lance out of North Dakota State. But if Sam Ellinger balls out this year, like that's your top three for the 2021 draft class. I don't know if there's an obvious number four. Uh, there's guys out there who might be there. Jamie Newman, the grad transfer at Georgia, could be in the mix. Brock Purdy, some people are throwing him in the mix. Maybe Kyle Trask at Florida. Uh, maybe Tanner Morgan at Minnesota. But like none of those guys are are locks to be – Sure. Day one or day two draft picks by any stretch. So if Sam Ellinger has a great year, I think he can be not a maybe not a day one pick, but maybe a day two type of pick. So if that happens, then I would guess he's gone and off to the NFL. But 
if Texas struggles, if Sam struggles a little bit, or maybe a whole bunch of those other guys ball out and, and Sam talks to NFL draft scouts and they're like, man, you're a day three pick at best. You're going to be like Jake Fromm, you know, go in the fifth round and be a backup somewhere. Maybe it's better for you to go back and play another year of college football than, and that option's on the table. And I'll tell you what, Tyler, there's already people making Perry Ellis jokes uh, about <laughs> Sam Ellinger. Those are only going to escalate even more if Sam could come back for a fifth year and be a five-year starter at the University of Texas. So I know Texas fans are excited about the potential of that happening. Uh, it'd be cool. I, I hope for Sam's sake that it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. I just hope he plays well enough this year and Texas does well enough this year to where he could be in that conversation for a day two pick and NFL scouts like him enough. But Obviously, that uh, that would be a that could be a huge turning point for for this conference and for college football as a whole if guys get a, a blanket year or that blanket waiver to get that extra year of eligibility. Yeah, there's, there's just so many variables, right? Like if Sam Ellinger gets hurt five games into the season, in a normal circumstance, it would just be like, well, that's his Texas career. That sucks how it ends, but yeah. that's how it ends. If he gets hurt halfway through the season, I think he I think he comes back. If this is a loaded, just a loaded class for quarterbacks this year which I don't know if it's just going to be loaded from top to bottom he may come back but the thing about Sam is he's allowed to get better year in and year out sure I just I I think kind of is as an NFL prospect you know like he's not his body's not going to cheer a whole lot more he kind of however the NFL teams think about him is probably what they're going to think of him either this year in the draft or even in the 2022 draft. I don't think coming back a year is really going to change all that much for him. So there, there's a lot of variables that are there. But if you're right, if he has an excellent year and if Texas goes on and wins a Big 12 championship, I, I definitely think that he's gone. And if he struggles and wants to come back in 2021, I'm going to guess that he's going to be the starter. But I wonder if Texas fans are just like, oh, God, we just – we just wish that he would move on by now. Like, seriously, Sam Ellinger again? Man, I don't think that'll ever happen. I don't think that'll ever happen. I think uh, if there's an opportunity to come back for a year five, Texas fans would be thrilled, assuming there is no total regression this year yeah. with Sam Ellinger. But, uh, yeah, something to watch for, for sure. And you might be right. Like, I don't think Sam's ceiling is is that high. Uh, I am curious what he looks like in this Mike Yersich offense, though. I really am because I think his numbers could improve and I think he could look a whole lot better this year. I think he's going to have better opportunities to be successful with more weapons around him and a better offensive line, hopefully in front of him. I did see a comparison though to Josh Allen yesterday, which I could not disagree with more. I think that's such a soft and wow. comparison. Uh, the guy who did it called him Sam Ellinger. So he already lost credibility for me uh, by mispronouncing the dude's name. But, yeah, I mean, Josh, I, I just think Josh Allen's a bad cop. Like, Josh Allen's a better runner than Sam Ellinger is, and Sam Ellinger's got a better arm in terms of accuracy than Josh Allen has. I mean, Josh Allen can throw the football a quarter mile, but that dude, <laughs> that dude is just not accurate at all. Like, Sam Ellinger right now is more accurate than Josh Allen is. So yeah. I didn't like that comp at all. But the fact that he's getting comps to legit NFL starting quarterbacks now, uh, legit, uh, my opinion on Josh Allen is lower than most. But the fact that he's getting comps – Two NFL starting quarterbacks tells me that, okay, there are some scouts that like this dude enough to at least give him a chance at the next level. Like he's no longer just Tim Tebow, right? He's no longer that comp mm-hmm. where, hey, he's really, really good in college and he's putting up great numbers and he's this and he's that. And he's a great leader, but you know he's not going to do anything in the league. Uh, the fact that there's at least some people out there who are giving him legit comps or at least two legit NFL players, 
I think is uh, I think is a good sign for his future. He's Brad Kellner. I'm Tyler McComas. Together, we are in defense of the Big 12. Check out all the great podcasts on the Chris Landry Football Network. I just sent you conference futures for the Big 12 champion this year, and let's play a scenario where Chris Landry gives us each $100 just to bet on futures for who wins the conference this year. Now, I don't know what your betting strategy is. I'm going to guess I'm about to find out. Maybe you're the guy that no matter what the odds are, you bet on the for sure thing. You bet on the favorite. Maybe you're a guy that, you know, doesn't like the favorite, but I like the second or third favorite just to get a little bit of odds right there. I, 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 like, the, I like the odds right there. Or maybe you're the guy that just goes for the long shot every time and trying to get rich off one bet. Regardless, here's how it breaks down. Oklahoma is the favorite at four to five. Texas is next at seven to five. Oklahoma State at 15 to two, Iowa State at 12 to one, TCU at 20 to one, Baylor and West Virginia at 25 to one, K State at 33 to one, Tech at 66 to one, Kansas at 100 to one. If Brad Kilner has a hundred free dollars to bet on the winner of this conference, who's he putting it on? Well, my betting strategy is the worst strategy ever. It's just what actually happens. It's bet on who loses, right? Whatever is not going to win, that's generally where my Damn. money goes. So I, I might be cursing uh, one or two of these teams by making my pick right here. My first thought when looking at this, Tyler, how the hell is Kansas only 100 to 1? I thought I think it's the worst bet on the board. Yeah, like, like if Kansas win the Big 12 this year and you only get a 100 to 1 payout, it's like, well, that sucks. I got ripped off. Dude, it, it's a big deal if they win one conference game a year. <laughs> I mean, it really is. Like, this is why, and this is a totally different parallel, and I don't know why I'm bringing this up, but, you know, Leicester City in the Premier League in soccer a couple of years ago were like 5,000 to 1 to win it all. Like, you got to take odds like that if you ever get them. Oh, yeah. When, yeah. when we look at this, like – Teams like the Browns two years ago or three years ago when they were 0-16, like they were only 500-1 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. Like we don't get those type of great odds. We need those type of odds over here. We need Kansas to be 5,000. It should be 10,000-1 to 1 odds to win the Big 12 this year. Like 100-1, to 1, you can't possibly put any money on that. Even Les Miles' family is not putting any money on that. There's just no chance that happens. Uh, but to answer your question, Tyler, I'm still putting money on Oklahoma. Wow. You know, I, I don't know if that reveals my betting strategy in general, but in the Big 12 Conference, I mean, uh, they've won it 13 times. They've won it five years in a row. It, it seems like OU has questions every year, but they find a way to answer those questions year in and year out. Uh, I just I feel like it'd be silly to put money on anybody else. I really do, because at the end of the day, Oklahoma always finds a way to get it done, right? It's like basketball in this league, you know? Like, I, I, I'm pessimistic as a sports fan. So I'm a Kansas guy as well, originally from Overland Park. So, like, I, I don't bet on Kansas very often because I always think they're going to find some way to screw it up. But, man, smart money to win the Big 12 in basketball every year is Kansas. Uh, well, they've won it 15 out of the last 16 years. Like, that's that's what you do. You can make a case for other teams every single year. And, oh, they've got good odds and they've got this and they've got that. And maybe this is the year. But somehow, some way, at the end of the day, Kansas finds a way to win the Big 12 in basketball. That's how it is in football. Uh, you can make a strong case for Texas. You can make a strong case for Oklahoma State. Uh, Iowa State, TCU, I'd throw them in the mix as well, kind of in that next tier. And obviously Oklahoma's got issues, and I think they've got more questions to answer than they've had in a long, long time in Norman. But, man, if uh, 
if I'm betting on who's winning the Big 12 in football, it's going to be Oklahoma until I'm proven wrong. Tell me this. How in the hell is West Virginia 25 to 1 and Kansas State is 33 to 1? How how is like and I could even argue that Kansas State should have better odds than Baylor cuz I don't I, I don't think Baylor's going to be very good this year but certainly West Virginia who was not awful last year I don't think anybody's optimistic about them this year and and not that I think Kansas State's going to win the league or anything but it's like they're 33 to 1 and West Virginia's 25 to 1 like if you want to take a long shot in this K-State at 33 to 1 is is the way to go here yeah you know I I would love to find odds to make it to the conference championship game. Right? Uh, yeah. These yeah. odds are to win the Big 12, but you know, if, if K-State were to be like 20 or 25 to 1 to just get to Arlington at the end of the year, then that's something I'd look at. And, and I'm generally not a guy who who goes with the long shot, right? Who puts money on stuff like that, but man, I, I think the purple teams in this league are the two wild cards this year, right? I mean, we've talked about TCU a lot, even though they're coming off a 5 and 7 season. You know, Gary Patterson the last two times TCU has missed a bowl game, well, they've had double-digit win seasons the following year. The last time TCU had a losing record the following season, they went to the Big 12 championship. That was in 2017 with Kenny Hill and company. Like They're not down for long. They're not down often, and when they are down, they're not down for long up in Fort Worth. So TCU, the defense is going to be really good. You know it is with Gary Patterson. Uh, obviously, the question is, can Max Duggan take that step, right? I mean, at times he looked pretty good last year, and you saw why he was a kind of a high four-star recruit, and some people think he might have a Sunday future. But more often than not, I mean, he looked like a deer in the headlights, man, a guy who just didn't really have any idea what he was doing out there. Uh, so can he take that next step? They've got Sonny Cumbie and Doug Meacham back together, right, the duo that worked magic at the start of the last decade. Can those guys find uh, magic once again? Can lightning strike twice in the same place? He's got more weapons around him, too. Uh, excited to see what the running backs bring to the table, especially the Zach Evans kid out of Houston, J.D. Spielman, the transfer from Nebraska, wide receiver. Like, TCU's a wild card for sure, but K-State's the other wild card, right? Both purple yeah. teams. Like, the biggest question for K-State and the biggest reason why I, I, I'm skeptical to really heap a bunch of praise, like a lot of my cohorts at the Horn in Austin are are lumping a lot of praise and I don't want to say like a ton of expectations because I don't think anyone's picking them to even get to the big 12 title game let alone win the league this year but you know K-State kind of feels like a trendy pick at least with the guys I'm working with the one thing that gives me a lot of reservation is I mean they're losing their entire offensive line they're losing 144 starts on the offensive line like that's K-State football right there right when you think K-State whether it's Bill Snyder and maybe it'll be a little different with Chris Kleiman but like last year kind of felt the same with Chris Kleiman, you think of the trenches, man. You think of the big uglies up front and just dominating the line of scrimmage. Maybe K-State will, will, will be like Oklahoma to where it's like, oh, they can lose three or four guys and they're still going to be one of the best O-lines in this league. But, man, that worries the hell out of me, uh, the fact that they have an entire offensive line to replace. I know they've got a veteran quarterback in Skylar Thompson. I know they've got some dudes coming back on defense. But, man, if you don't have an offensive line in this sport, you're not going to be that successful. So that's that's my biggest reservation by far with K-State. But if that offensive line figures it out, uh, I mean, they've still got some dudes, man. And Chris Kleiman impressed a lot of people in year one. He's got a championship pedigree, albeit at the FCS level at North Dakota State. They've got a shot maybe to, uh, if not get to the Big 12 title game, maybe pull off an upset or two like they did last year beating Oklahoma. 
if Chris Landry, Landry were to give me $100 right now, um, it, it yeah, I mean, it's super tempting not to take Oklahoma. The only thing is I don't like their odds at four to five. Yeah. I would go with uh, Oklahoma State at 15 to two. I think that there's a solid payout there. I've already told you a couple times, I think that they're making it to the Big 12 championship game. Now, I worry about them losing a couple games and all the hostility there with Mike Gundy, things just like fall mm. apart at the seams, you know, but they have a very manageable schedule to open up conference play. And um, yeah, I mean, in, in a one game setting, I guess theoretically anything could happen. They're going to have one of the best offenses in the country, no doubt about it. So just for the odds and the payout, um, I'm using Chris Landry's hundred dollars to uh, take Oklahoma state at 15 to two. I like that. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's kind of a trendy pick, right? And, and I am curious when we get to the point in the offseason where we're making college football playoff predictions, I guess we're not quite there yet. Like normally we would be, but there's a whole bunch of other stuff going on in the world right now. Tyler, I'm not sure if you're aware. Uh, and obviously, I mean, we're still not 100% sure that college football is even going to happen and if there's going to be a college football playoff this year or not. But I am curious, like, when we get to national pundits making college football playoff prediction time, is Oklahoma State going to be that trendy pick this year? Like Texas kind of was last year by a lot of people. I thought that was ridiculous. Now I didn't I didn't think Texas would be seven and five, so I'm not gonna sit here and pat myself on the back too much. But like the fact that national guys were drinking the burn orange Kool-Aid and putting Texas in the playoff, that blew my mind. I wonder if Oklahoma State's going to be that team. Now, I'm not saying they're going to be seven and five. I guess that's impossible with the ten game schedule. But I wonder if that's like the Big Twelve team that, like, hey, Oklahoma's got some issues. Maybe it's not their year. And Oklahoma State's got the triplets, and they've got Chuba and Tylen coming back, and they've got a bunch of returning talent on defense. And Mike Gundy's been there for a long time. Like, I wouldn't be surprised at all, especially with a a smaller playing field in college football, if you do see at least a couple of national guys putting the Cowboys in that final four this year. I guess I don't know who else would be the trendy pick. Like, do we think that anybody other than Notre Dame and Clemson is going to come out of the ACC? Maybe Max North Carolina team is the trendy pick there, but I, I, I don't think that that's going to be the case. Right. Bama, Georgia, and Florida will be picks to come out of the SEC. Maybe LSU just because what they did last year. Maybe somebody has a wild hair and goes Auburn. Maybe there's a moron out there that thinks Texas A&M is I was going to say, I, there's going to be some guys who pick A&M in there, I would guess. God. Yeah, because <laughs> that pick has not stuck for the past 80 years, right? But, yeah, I would say that OSU is kind of, you know, the, the Big 12 seemingly is, I don't know if it's more wide open, but it's, it's definitely going to get a team in this year since there's only three conferences playing for four spots, seemingly. So, yeah, I, I would think that Oklahoma State, maybe throw Texas in there, but I think Oklahoma State would probably would be the trendy pick naturally yeah. for sure, yeah. Do we think that – man, I'm so fascinated to see how the college football playoff unfolds this year. I'm fascinated every year, but because there's no Big Ten, because there's no Pac-12, like I think a lot could happen this year. Mm -hmm. Could we get the American in the college football playoff? Like if UCF goes undefeated this year or Memphis or Cincinnati or SMU – like, do they get in? Is this the year they finally crash the party? And then what happens if, you know, you've got a, a two-loss conference champion this year? Like, man, the SEC is going to be tough. It's yeah. going to be really, really – like, I, I think Alabama's awesome. But if they went 8-2 and two with the schedule that they have this year, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't either. It wouldn't shock me. So, like, what do you do? Do, do, do they still get in? 
Do you put two SEC teams in? What if you have a two-loss SEC team versus, you know, a, a, a one-loss Big 12 team or a one-loss American team or a zero-loss American team? Like, we always have these discussions, but everybody kind of kicks the G5 to the side. Like, ah, there's no real chance they have to get in, right? Because there's five Power 5 teams for four spots. Power 5 is going to take this every year. But the American wild card could be something interesting here. And then what happens, like, I think everybody's kind of assuming, Tyler, that all right, well, the Big 12 champ, the ACC champ, the SEC champ is getting in. I mean, with the reputation of the Big 12, what if Oklahoma wins this league with two losses? Yeah. And, and you've got, like, uh, uh, you know, Notre Dame and Clemson. Like, Clemson it, wins the league, but Notre Dame only has one loss or something mm-hmm. like that. Like, what what do you do in that situation? So, man, I mean, conference reputation is always a question, but especially this year, if you have two loss teams because of the conference-only gauntlets that you have – in college football this year, like how does the playoff look and, and what is, is the big 12 reputation good enough to where if somebody has a second loss, do they get in even if they win the league? Big 12 fans, OU fans, Texas fans, OSU fans, whoever in the conference thinks they have a chance at making the college football playoff. They need to root for Clemson to win the ACC and they really need to root for Alabama to win the SEC because if Notre Dame and Clemson splits, but Notre Dame wins the ACC, Guess what? Clemson has built up so much of a reputation yep. right now that Clemson as a one-loss team and a non-ACC champ, they are getting into the playoff because everybody will believe that they still might be the best team and can still win the national championship. Same thing with Alabama. If Alabama loses to Florida or Georgia in the SEC championship, well, Bama is a one-loss team. We've seen it before. We've seen Alabama make the playoff without even playing in the SEC championship game before, yeah. right? So I'd be really worried if Bama and Clemson are one-loss teams, both of them get beat in the conference championship game, I'd really start to get worried for the Big 12 because the ACC and the SEC champ are getting in. I think Bama and Clemson would, would follow as well. So, yeah, root for Bama and root for Clemson this year to win their conference. Yeah. But, I, but I think ultimately the debate is going to come down to the number four team. Because I do think that what's going to happen this year is the three conference champs will get in. But you asked about the American, and I think it could be tough for the American this year because none of them have the opportunity to play a marquee non-conference game where they can bust into the field. You know, Houston had that OU game in 2016 where they busted in, right? Now, UCF has built up the street cred, I think, to run the table and really have a chance at this. But it may only be UCF if if SMU were to run the table. I don't think they have enough street cred to get in. Though Cincinnati's been a dog here recently. They have a really good program. I don't know if they do either. Same thing with Memphis. So if we see a non-Power 5 team, it may have to be UCF just because we've seen them beat big programs in the past. Yeah, you know, UCF does play Georgia Tech in the non-con. I know that's a weaker ACC foe, but at least they do get one of the three power five teams. I mean, hell, that's one of the best non-conference games in college football this year, unfortunately. And then SMU's got TCU too, right? And maybe that factors into the Big 12 perception this year. Like what happens if SMU beats TCU this year and TCU goes like seven and two in the Big 12? What do people think of this league? You know, Uh, I think think a one-loss Big 12 champ is getting in. No questions asked. I don't care if it's Texas or OU. I should flip those around. OU or Texas in terms of likeliness that happening but like it's not a reputation thing like some years I'm like 
man, could have one loss. I mean, we saw it in 2014, right? Ohio State, because they're Ohio State, True. they get in with one loss over TCU or Baylor. Now, if it's Texas or Oklahoma in 2014, I'm not quite sure that happens. I'm not quite sure that happens. But this year in particular, I don't care if it's Oklahoma State or Iowa State or TCU or Baylor. I think a one-loss Big 12 champion is getting into the college football playoff. The question would become, okay, what happens if it's a two-loss team, right? Do you put two-loss Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Texas in over an unbeaten UCF? Man, I, I wouldn't have that much of a problem with unbeaten UCF getting in. I really wouldn't if that's the case. If you've got a two-loss conference championship team in this Big 12 conference in a down year for this league. I mean, maybe they'll surprise us and this league will be really, really good and there will be a bunch of good teams. But I think most people agree this is kind of a down year for this conference. Uh, I, I would maybe make the case for that undefeated American team, or at least I'd understand that undefeated American team getting in over a Big 12 team with two losses. Do you believe, I'm a little bit of a conspiracy theorist, do you believe that the committee wants certain teams in just to boost ratings? Like, Do you believe um, if a one-loss Notre Dame happens, they're getting in just because a one-loss Notre Dame means ratings? Do you think that they'd want two SEC teams in just because that would get ratings and a lot of attention to the area of the country that loves the sport the most? Like, or do you just legitimately think they pick who the four best teams are? No, I, I think there's a lot of that that happens. And I think for the most part, the, the committee has not had to make a whole lot of tough decisions, right? I mean, it always yeah. feels like with two weeks left in the regular season, oh, what is the committee going to do? Like there's seven teams, there's only four spots, and then somehow some way it works its way out. Like look at last year. You know, Utah, if they win the Pac-12 title, OU wins the Big 12 title, who are you getting in there? Somebody, Who are you putting in there? Someone's going to get left out. Kind of felt like Utah was going to be the team. Utah was going to be in. Yeah. You know, if Utah barely beat Oregon and Oklahoma beats Baylor by 40 points, like what, what do you do in that situation? But, of course, Utah loses the Pac-12 championship game. Oklahoma wins the Big 12 championship game, and it works itself out. So – it usually has uh, has gone in the committee's favor to where they don't have to make decisions like that. That proves their bias towards blue bloods to bigger schools to to TV ratings and whatnot. But yeah, man, I I do think that's that's a thing that plays into this a little bit, right? I mean, if you've got one loss big brand school versus one loss non big brand school, and, and it kind of feels like the committee got it right in 2014. So once again, that might not be the best example, right? Because Ohio yeah. State went on to win the national championship as a four seed. I don't know if TCU or Baylor uh, would have done that. But, you know, that's that that's the example right there. Like, I just feel like something like that would happen again. If you've got one loss Notre Dame versus one loss Oklahoma State, eh, then I feel like one loss Notre Dame has the better shot to get it. Okay, so if you believe that, then that kind of backs up this opinion of mine. If a two-loss Big 12 champion is going to make the playoff this year, I think it's going to be Texas. Not Oklahoma. I think that the committee was going to go in this year looking for a reason not to put Oklahoma in just because of their past playoff failures. Everybody's tired of seeing them get on that stage and get their ass kicked. Oklahoma State doesn't have the name cachet there, but, but, but Texas does, right? There's a really interesting storyline with Texas. Um, Hadn't been in a game in this magnitude since Colt McCoy was on campus. Texas has a large draw. There's there's something there. I, I really do think that if we're right about this, if the committee pays attention to ratings and the draw and everything, the best chance the Big 12 have with a, with a two-loss team 
is is Texas because what comes along yeah. with it, man. Yeah, you might be right. You might be right. Now it's obviously going to depend on what happens across college football, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. you know, once again, if you've got two one loss teams in the ACC, it's Clemson and Notre Dame, then those two teams are getting in. Uh, you know, if you've got a one loss team and an undefeated team in the SEC, then those two teams are probably getting in, definitely getting in over a two loss Texas team. So, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, you know, Texas and Oklahoma, maybe they have a shot with two losses to get in. But uh, of course, it all depends on what's uh, what happens around the, the national picture this year. OK, uh, let's say that I'm some sort of wizard and I get to guarantee that Texas is going to college football playoff this year. I know that sounds pretty, wow. doesn't it? Now to fruition, then uh, I'm going to, I'm going to need your betting advice moving forward, man. I'm going to be not, asking you for picks on everything. Not only do I guarantee this for you, but I also guarantee that you're going to get to go to the football game. Wow. What do you, what do you pick? Which, which semifinal site do you pick? New Orleans, which I say is the best bowl city in America for the sugar bowl or the freaking granddaddy of them all, the Rose bowl mm-hmm. in Pasadena. Man, I'm picking the Rose bowl yeah, because I've, ne- I've never been. I've never yeah. been. Like, I was too young when Texas was playing in back-to-back Rose Bowls in 05 and 06. And, and I got to go to New Orleans last year for the Sugar Bowl, which was awesome. I had a hell of a time. New Year's on Bourbon Street, highly Some recommend. Jacket. Make sure you take the next week off of work, too, because uh, you're going to need it to rest up the liver and, and get your head right. But I had a blast there. I would be okay with either, obviously. But nah, I've never been out to the Rose Bowl. Love California. And again, uh, who knows what's happening with COVID, obviously, and, and the handlings in, in California are a little bit different than what's going on in uh, Louisiana right now. So maybe that impacts uh, the decision at all, but uh, a little bit. But now, nah, COVID aside, if I could choose one of those, I'll I'll take the Rose Bowl. But man, that's you know, just give me just give me either, man. That'd be nice. Uh, I got my credit card stolen on New Year's Eve in New Orleans before the OU Alabama game. Oh no. And, uh that was a what bad happened? Night. Like jacked out of your pocket or so, like- okay. So right, like New Year's Eve in New Orleans, you would think like drunk idiot just loses his car from this place. Yeah, you leave it you leave it on a bar somewhere and some guy takes it. In ninety five ninety five, ninety eight percent of the time, that would be true for me. Hundred percent. However, this was the first bar of the night that we went to Either I did exactly that, left the card on the bar, or they just never gave it back to me. Mm. But they went to some outside suburb of New Orleans, and every cent that I had in that thing, they ran it up. So it was like a day, maybe two, a day or two before the actual game. So I'm just down there with like very little cash, no card on me at all. It was, uh, was it was it a debit card or a credit card? It was a debit card. Yeah, oh debit man, card. yeah, that's killer. Yeah, you didn't have any other cards, like a credit card or something. Not, not at the time. Not back in 2013. Uh, yeah, I guess what you were pretty damn 23 young. 23 years yeah. old at that yeah. time, so they weren't. Oh, down. that yeah. is killer, man. Yeah, so you, you but you know what? Did you get your money back? Oh yeah, I, I got okay. it all back, but not until I got back. But right. it is amazing how when you're 23 years old and you have like no cash on you how you can still find odd ways and manage to still have a great time in a city like New Orleans. You can figure out a way to still get drink. I just, you know, it's, it was, it was still a good time, but I would tell you, man, um, the Rose bowl is unlike anything I've ever seen before. You made the right choice with that. Like the San Gabriel mountains in the background, the, the Rose bowl, just as a setting, like it's, it's so awesome. And it would totally suck 
for OU or Texas or anybody else in the conference that to get to play at the Rose Bowl this year. And it would only be like 25% capacity and not all the fans would get to go, man. That I, would, be I would play the media card for sure to make sure I could find <laughs> my way out there. But you know what? From a Texas fan's perspective, Tyler, I would tell you it would not suck at all because that would mean the Longhorns are relevant again sure. in the national picture. And that would mean they're in the college football playoff, which is so far-fetched to me. And it has been so far-fetched since the advent of the playoff in 2014. And I don't care if 0% of fans are allowed there. I don't care where the hell they play the game, man. If Texas makes the playoff, I'm not complaining at all. Uh, and I don't think, uh, you know, maybe Oklahoma fans would, but I think everybody else in this league would be so thrilled to get in, to be in the Final Four, that they'd just be like, dude, I whatever. If we can't go, so be it. Yeah. Uh, no shame by Brad today. Uh, he's a big Dallas Mavs fan, so he has to show his support after Luka was dropping some dimes last night. Woo! Game two over the LA Clippers. Nice. That, man. Yeah, nice win last night. Nice win last night. And I didn't think the Mavs had much of a chance to make this a series. I thought it was going five games. And maybe it still goes five games, right? Maybe the Mavs got their win and the Clippers are about to turn things on. But, hey, you can't help but think. And I think the majority of people out there are rooting for the Mavericks, Tyler. Like, oh, yeah. Because they're Mavs yeah. fans because they're anti-Clippers fans and they love upsets, right? We all love upsets. So, you know, everyone's rooting for the Blazers, it feels like, and everyone's rooting for the Mavericks. Just get the L.A. teams out of there because we've been hearing about them all year long. People are rooting for the Magic out east, too, like get rid of the Bucks. That'd be awesome. Give me chaos. We all love stuff like that in sports. But, man, you can't help but think, like, if Kristaps doesn't get tossed in game one in ridiculous right. fashion, the Mavs were up five when that happened. There's obviously no guarantee that they win that game, but and maybe they're up two games to love right now. They've been the better team. Uh, in this series, Doc Rivers himself said it last night. So, yeah, fun one. Sports are fun, man. It's great. I mean, the NBA has been great. The NHL has been great. Major League Baseball has obviously had its issues, but it's been great to have baseball on. And, man, we're, we're 23 days away from kickoff, mm -hmm. from yeah. Big 12 football. I guess not Big 12. Well, Big 12 teams, not conference games, but Big 12 teams playing football. We're 23 days away from that. Uh, we're 21 days away now from the NFL coming back right three weeks from tonight. We'll have Texans and Chiefs to kick off the NFL season. Uh, it's a beautiful thing, man. It really is. It's obviously been a tumultuous year, and hopefully there's a way to play football both at the college level and the professional level safely and, and smartly. But, man, it's uh, a lot of reasons to be excited right now if you're a sports fan when for a four-and-a-half-month stretch there was nothing to be excited about. Uh, let's just hope the Houston Rockets don't shoot 97% from the three-point line like they did in game one today when they oh, take Oh, I forgot your Thunder game. guy. I didn't even think about that. Well, yeah, I mean, come on. You, know, you got to be, right? Support the city, for God's sake. You, yeah. know? you can't be one of those guys that just, uh, you know, hates him out here, you know? Uh, one last thing. I did say this on my radio show yesterday, and I thought of you, that uh, it, I just thought it was hilarious that everyone in the state of Texas goes to 25% capacity, and then A&M just has to be – well, we're going to 30. Like AM is the guy. AM <laughs> is the guy that drives the lifted, jacked up truck to compensate for something else that they don't have. Yeah. Texas AM is the guy that drives in that truck to the stoplight and stares at the hot chick next to him the entire time like something's going to happen. And I found it hilarious that they try to go up oh, 30% more than Texas. And they get knocked back down to 25%. Dude, that, is, that is a phenomenal metaphor right there. One of the best I've ever heard to describe <laughs> Texas A&M. That is great. Yeah, I laughed 
I laughed my ass off when I saw that yesterday that they were going 30%. You know, I figured they'd go like 26%. Right, right. Really just to rub it in. Like even they would get in on the joke if they were doing 26%. But no, it's not a joke to them. They uh, they had to one-up Texas. They had to be better than the other schools in the Big 12, and they had to try the 30% card. And, yeah, the fact that it didn't work is uh, is even better. That, that was nice. Always fun to, uh, to poke some fun at uh, the former Big 12 counterparts and uh, a little brother here in the state of Texas. I, I, I do want to ask you this. Um, the next five years, will Texas and Texas A&M play a football game? In the next season game in the next five years? Uh, I don't think so. I really don't think so. I mean, I, I, I wish it would happen. I would love for it to happen, but it doesn't seem like it's going to happen. And, and both teams will say that, you know, uh, well, you know, it's interesting. It's a game of he, shed, he said, she said right now. Right. Like Texas, Tom Herman, Chris Del Conte, they're all saying that, hey, we keep asking them. We ask them every year, do you want to play? We'll make space for you. We'll find a way to get this game on the schedule. We'll make it happen. And they keep saying no. And then you hear from A&M, like, no, they never even asked us. They, like, they never even talked about it. Like, they're totally yeah. making this up. So, it's he said, she said, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's going to happen. I wish it would. I think it's great for the state of Texas. Rivalries make college sports great. Obviously, you have other non-conference rivals finding ways to play every year. And somehow, some way, Texas and Texas A&M can't figure it out. They're, they're too good for each other, apparently. I just can't wait till they finally come to an agreement. It's like, yeah, we're going to play 2058 in Austin. 2059 <laughs> in It's like, okay. And then yeah. they'll cancel it in 2057. Right. Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. He's Brad Kellner. I'm Tyler McComas. We are in defense of the Big 12. We'll talk to you on Monday right here on Skype, 10 a.m. Central. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.